T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. He lives in Western Springs, but State Representative Jim Durkin is expressing concerns about Chicago school children and retail theft on the Magnificent Mile. It's all part of the job for the Illinois House Republican leader, and the legislative session is just getting started. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is someone who's no stranger to this program. House Republican leader Jim Durkin has been in the Illinois legislature since 1995. And except for a brief stint when he tried to get the U.S. Senate seat held by Dick Durbin, uh, Jim Durkin's led the House Republicans since 2013. And, and Jim, I think with all the comings and goings of the past year or so, am I right that you're now the senior member of the four tops, the four legislative leaders? Well, you know, it's amazing that I was the youngest and then overnight, poof, I became the oldest. Yes. So uh, I am the oldest of the legislative leaders and uh, I am uh, older than the governor also. So when we walk into, if we ever meet again as legislative leaders with the governor, I will be the senior statesman. Oh, and, uh, so, there, there we go. And you have you have been a statesman for some time. Uh, thank you. And, and uh, Jim Durkin's also been a very active leader. And uh, the lack of many meetings during the pandemic did not still his voice. He and his caucus called attention to the problems of the state's unemployment system and the way the administration has handled coronavirus information and mitigations. And uh, meanwhile, the General Assembly kicked off another session this past week. So we have a lot to talk about. And I will say not only will Jim walk into uh, any uh, meetings here forth um, as the uh, senior statesman, but he rocks the gray hair better than any of the rest of us. Uh, so oh, wow. it looks distinguished on him. The rest of us just look old. Jim Durkin, welcome back. Well Craig, that's what the, you know, the, the advances in technology have a spray on gray uh, for my hair. So uh, I made sure that I uh, had a, a fresh hit this morning. And uh, so, thank you. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Well, I, I will uh, say since the first topic we're going to talk about is education, we are recording this on Friday afternoon. So we will allow that anything could happen with the Chicago public schools between now and when this airs and the shutdown of classes uh, uh, was still underway as we went into the weekend. But you called on Governor Pritzker to get involved. And what role do you believe the state should play in a dispute like this? The state of Illinois um, 
has complete control over the, the budget of, of has a great control over the Chicago's budget, the CPS budget. We have a uh, state board of education that regulates our schools in Chicago. We have a labor relations board that oversees issues with the city of Chicago. So the state of Illinois does have significant uh, involvement with public schools and particularly Chicago public schools. And uh, the governor is not just the governor for every student outside of Chicago. He's the governor for the families and the kids within the Chicago public school system. There are kids as well. And uh, it's, it's, we're going on three years right now of, of kids not being in a classroom. And it was just at the uh, 11th hour on Wednesday where CPS said, you know what, we're not going back. We're not putting our people back into the classrooms. And that's just, I, I find that really, really troubling. It's the damage that's been done to our kids because of the pandemic has been um, uh, incalculable, but we have a situation right now where the schools, I think most of the schools in our, in our state are back with their kids in the class. They're doing everything by the book on mitigation, making it a safe environment. And uh, I would suggest that, you know, what are kids gonna do if they're not in their classrooms in Chicago? They're gonna run around and play with other kids. And I would say that it's probably not the healthiest place for them during the course of this Omicron. I'd rather have them in a controlled setting, a controlled location in their schools where the schools are doing a good job of, 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 uh, of, of keeping the kids uh, you know, uh, socially distant, making sure that the mitigation efforts are, are fine. But more importantly, the kids need, need to be back in the classroom. And I want the governor to do what he should be doing. He should be governing. He can't turn a blind eye on Chicago and just say that this is not my problem. We, we do it every, we tell Chicago what to do. We, we told them before, just not too long ago that you're gonna have a, an elected school board. So the governor can't say that the Chicago public schools are not under his purview. I want him to get involved and do what other governors have done traditionally over years and decades. They take control and they the ones who, uh, because of their position as governor, get in and negotiate. I remember, you know, the head of the AFL-CIO a couple of years ago talking about previous governors said, get in there and negotiate, don't dictate. I mean, so governors do this. They're the ones that should be taking over since he is the chief executive officer of our state. Take care of our kids in Chicago. But this is a case where it's it's about as much about a labor contract as it is about anything else. Uh, everything you said about the need for students to be in school is being echoed, in fact, not echoed, but being led by what's coming out of City Hall. Uh, that, that has been well, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's refrain all along. She wants the kids back in. Yes. This, uh, but it is the teachers union that voted for their children, or excuse me, for their members that said 75% of them did not want to go into schools that they feel are not safe enough. Well, I think and, governor, isn't, and is there, I mean, is there a way for a uh, governor, frankly, it's the, even the people who are negotiating this seem unable to be able to get the teachers to agree to come back? Well, I would say that this governor, particularly with his strong relationships with the teachers unions throughout the state of Illinois and Chicago, would be the person who would have the greatest influence in this process. That is if he believes that the interests of the kids come before the union. And that means getting this solved, putting kids back into the classroom. 
That's, and that's what the governor needs to do. And that means he needs to use the leverage that he has in this position to tell people, get this thing done and negotiate and let's bring it to a closure. But if anybody has influence with the Chicago Teachers Union, it is J.B. Pritzker. Because I know the relationship between the CTU and the mayor is toxic and that is not gonna change. One person can come in and can, can solve this problem and I'm convinced that the governor, if he wishes, if he wants to put his best efforts forward, he would be the best person to get this done. And I think he's the most, uh, most capable person in the state. Put the kids back in the classroom. Um, another uh, major thrust, I want to change gears here, uh, for your caucus within the last uh, number of months has involved all those smash and grab thefts that we've seen in downtown Chicago. Yes. Uh, crime is the, if we're talking, we're talking about major problems for the city. Crime is the other big one. Uh, House Bill 4275 uh, would boost penalties for such crimes yeah. and some other things. Talk to me a little bit about what that would do and why that might help. We're looking for anything to help this, this horrible epidemic of crime that has started two years ago and has not slowed down. Uh, we had, it was seemed like every 15 minutes somewhere in the Streeterville or Michigan Avenue, or even up in the Northwest North side of the city of Chicago was being uh, vandalized by not just a few kids, but this is a, a very strategic organized group of thieves who are uh, going in, identifying high-end stores and are doing it in a, in a way, which is, uh, as you can tell, it's not just a couple of guys who are just uh, have a couple of drinks and feel like having some fun. This is a uh, this is a this is a gang mentality. This is what we see uh, with street gangs. And Craig, what's happening is that the, the the product and the goods that they're 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 stealing, they're not selling them over on Maxwell Street or out of the alleyways in their uh, back of their uh, in in the trunk of their cars. These are going online, and uh, we do know that there is a a hierarchy within these, this, I mean, maybe street gangs, I think it's probably related to street gangs in which these products, these, these uh, items are being uh, moved out on the uh, uh, online and they're being sold for greatly discounted price. But this is a highly organized group of individuals and we have to treat them the same way we treat street gangs on other types of major crimes. And that's why I've created a bill that would uh, which is similar to what California had a couple of years ago. But what it does is that it creates a new crime of organized retail theft. This is not because it is an organized effort and it does have penalty enhancements, uh, whether or not someone is using a weapon or not, but someone's got to say something. And you know what? Uh, we're in a lawless society here in, in, in Chicago and certain parts of the state. And my job in Springfield is to try to find ways and make statements that we need to do more. I know the police have had a very difficult time operating, and I'm going to be very direct about this because of what the legislature did to them a year ago in the last minutes of the lame duck session in which they passed a bill that cripples police officers and their ability to do their jobs. And I can spend a whole afternoon speaking about that, but we have a... Uh, we have a situation where the Democrat leaders from the governor and other leaders in the state have turned their back on police. They need to know that, they're, that their elected officials 
are going to support them and that they have their back. So they're not doing the type of, you know, I think strong police efforts that they've done in the past because they're worried about they're worried about losing their pension. They're worried about because it seems to be let's 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 keep vilifying the police. Let's uh, uh, let's make them the target. But at the same time, the attitude that's been created over the past year and a half has been very anti-police, anti-victim, and people pick up on that. And you see this going on, whether it's on smashing grabs or carjackings, it is, it's almost a new norm. It's horrible, but no one seems to be doing anything. I haven't seen one Democrat talk about what's a proposal that we can do about this smashing grab. Well, let's treat it for what it is. It's an organized street gang effort. And like we do with RICO prosecutions or other types of large conspiracies, let's treat it like that. And you know what? I, I, the other part of it is law enforcement. And let me just say, Craig, I used to work at 26 in California. You know that. You know, you work these cases the same way you work these large scale things. You have, you've got to use electronic surveillance. You've got to be able to get wiretaps and also put people in informants or put people in undercover roles. That's how you get it. But the fact is when you, when you finally make your case, you've got to have laws in the book that are very strong. But the problem there is that we have a state attorney in Cook County who doesn't treat retail theft as a real crime. And that's part of the problem as well. We've had crimes out here. I live close to the DuPage border where there was a $15,000 or $20,000 smashing grab at an Ulta store. And uh, upon being arrested by local police, they said, all right, well, I'll be out. And this is a misdemeanor offense, isn't it? Thinking that, you know what, we're in DuPage County. We can get away with the same stuff in Cook County because that's what they're used to. So that's the attitude out there. So Greg, I'm just trying to bring awareness to this. I want retailers to know that there's some people who take this serious, like me, because it not only affects their ability to put people to work, it affects commerce and tourism too. I can't imagine what the mindset would be of that, that, that family who's got their child who are in a store on Michigan Avenue doing what a lot of people like to do, coming in from out of state, spending money in Chicago, going to our great stores, and all of a sudden, one of these horrible acts happened. Just think about what goes through their minds, uh, the, the trauma that they're gonna suffer, not only with the employees. So I just wanna bring awareness to this, that we need to treat this seriously. And Ms. Fox, you need to treat the statutes that we have in place serious and get behind this bill. She's and been quiet. Now, the answer that uh, State's Attorney Fox would give to some of what you said, and there's a lot that we should talk about among yeah. the things you've said, would be that the priority has to be the violent crime that has been taking place in Chicago. The number of people who've been killed, a record number of, uh, of people being, or at least a near record number of people being killed in Chicago and a record number of people killed across Cook County. Uh, and that that is where the emphasis has to be. That's where their prosecutorial muscle needs to be. Um, and that, yeah, maybe there's a higher threshold for, uh, for retail theft that rather than be, I think, what it was at $500 before now it's a thousand, right. that those things had to change because you have to spend more time and effort on the gun crimes. That's a cop-out. That is a complete cop-out by Kim Fox. She has an office of over 700 assistant state's attorneys. And when I was there, we handled everything from multiple murders to retail theft, to armed robberies, large-scale drug cases. So it is not something that is outside of the wheelhouse, so to speak, of the people in that office. There's good men and women in that office. But the fact is this state's attorney doesn't believe that certain crimes are worth her time. 
And she needs to go back and look at the oath of office she took a couple of years ago and make a decision of whether or not she should continue on in that position or if she wants to switch the name of her office to the Office of the Public Defender. But I'm insulted by that, by her to say that we need to focus on the major crimes. Well, that's what she's doing. She's not even taking up some of these cases that we have in the west side of Chicago, some of these issues in the northwest side of Chicago, where the office says that, you know what, we're just not going to file charges. And Craig, I put a bill in a year ago, six months ago, that will say that the Chicago police and also suburban police officers have the ability to override the state's attorney when they decide not to pursue charges. I looked at that video of that shootout on the west side of Chicago. And I think all of us saw that. I think there's a question about, you know, some, some identification issues, but she just wrote it off and said this was mutual combat. Greg, this happens on a regular basis. That was not a gentleman's duel between two street gangs. That was a shootout. There were 91 shell casings found. I know how these cases should be worked, but for her to say that we're not going to pursue charges because it's a the, the mutual are, combat, excuse right. me, mutual combat. And, and that's happened not only that, but other cases too, where there was two young men that were involved with the, it was a fight, which one produced a, 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 a knife and killed a young man. And he initially said that this was, we're not pursuing charges because it's mutual combat. So she's not taking the criminal code seriously. I, I just want to say this, that the role of the state's attorney is to prosecute cases and of course, review them once the police bring it to them. But she's taking a position that I'm going to use a higher standard when these cases are being charged instead of probable cause. And uh, for whatever reason she believes uh, that's right, I don't agree with it. Uh, we have a system where there is a, definitely a distinction between the role of the law enforcement and also the prosecutors. But there has to be uh, a symbiotic relationship between the two. That's the only way we're going to have a safe society. And there clearly is distrust with Chicago police and also the state's attorney and the way in which she's handling cases. But for her to say that she's got to focus on the, the violent crimes, the murders, and say that everything else is going to be thrown to the side is a complete uh, abdication of her responsibilities and her oath of office. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and my guest is Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin of Western Springs. Uh, as much as I would love to talk more about uh, crime issues, and especially about the police. Uh, I do want to talk about some other. Well, let, let's let's stick with one part of it, and that is exactly how you feel. And I know we, we don't want to do the entire afternoon on this, but how you feel the laws that were passed uh, basically prevent police from doing their job. Sure. We've created new duties for the police on how the rules of engagement are to be for uh, any type of, uh, uh, if there's going to be a, an arrest, if there's going to be uh, any type of, they have duties now to intervene. The list goes on in which they have to take very specific uh, pr uh, procedures and protocols on any type of apprehension of a, of a, of a suspect. Uh, and if they don't, you're, you're, you're going to be subject to disciplinary charges by placing this in statute. They have to follow it by the, by the book, by the T, as opposed to the, unfortunately, every crime and every suspect, there's, you don't know what to expect. Police, you know, we, we, we have police that are battered on a regular basis. They're subject to a lot of really bad things. But I will just say that uh, one, of, one of the things that I find most difficult is the uh, provision which allows for a police officer to be disciplined based on an anonymous complaint. 
you know, in our in this judicial system, in this constitution that we have in the country, in the state, everybody has a right to be confronted by their accuser. And we're talking about taking away one's property right in their employment. And now it's going to be based on an anonymous complaint. But let me give you another perspective on this, Craig. Knowing what I know about street gangs and also the Cook County Jail, someone's not going to be happy when they're arrested. And I can just see a whole new cottage industry of people filing anonymous complaints against the officer who, detectives or officers who are responsible for someone's arrest to sully their reputation in a courtroom eventually when things go to trial. I just know how this works. That to me was very, really, really, really a bad, a bad move to say that, you know what, we're going to, we're going to challenge your ability to be a police officer, take away your job, but we're going to do it based on an anonymous complaint. It's just wrong. And you know what, we, we don't allow it in our courtrooms to happen on anonymous complaints. You have a Sixth Amendment right to confrontation, you know. But let me also say there's one other provision. This is really some bad victim provisions in here as well. There's one provision which would allow for a defendant, not the court or the prosecution, to compel a victim to appear at a detention hearing because we're not going to have cash bail. You can't have, in select cases, detention hearings, which are going to be mini trials. But we're giving the defendant the right to compel a victim of crime to appear at a, de at a detention hearing. Craig, think about this. We have domestic violence cases where a, a, a husband has, has abused his wife and then is brought in for a detention hearing for maybe an attempt murder or an aggravated battery. But if a court's going to grant that, that defendant's uh, subpoena to compel her testimony, what does that get out of the system other than traumatizing that victim even more or that young child who's a sexual assault victim? What do they have to, what, what is their value in a detention hearing? But that was included in the law that was passed this past year. I am so offended by this, about what they've done. I've asked multiple times, and I just had this question a couple of days on the floor of the House of Representatives with the sponsor of the bill who can't answer questions about the practical and the legal implications of the bill. But I, I just think that the, it's gone, it's an overreach. Uh, the Democrats are now, trying to find out ways in which they can walk this back and uh, are because they know that crime is in public safety maybe the biggest issue of this next cycle. So they never decide they never wanted to consult with us. They'll say that we that these issues have been around. It showed up at three o'clock in the morning on the last day of veto session of, of lame duck session. We saw it at 10 o'clock in, the, in the, the Senate passed it at four o'clock in the morning. We saw it at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, debate was cut off by, by the Democrats for Republicans, and they are now trying to figure out, oops, we made a mistake, so we're going to have to figure out a way to, you know, walk this back, but it's not going to be easy, Craig. The damage has been done. Well, I do need us to talk about a couple of other things before we... Uh... I, I, I get very passionate about this. <laughs> no, and understood, it's, it's and, and I'm my... sure we will talk about this more as this uh, spring session goes on, uh, Go but... The big job you're going to do is to pass a budget, a new budget. Uh, the numbers suggest that the state's budget situation is improving. There have been credit upgrades. Does all of this suggest that uh, Governor Pritzker has been doing a fairly decent job as far as that's concerned? Well, I think every governor in the country can say that because they all got bailed out by the federal government. Let's just remember a couple of years ago, 
uh, the governor passed a budget that was predicated upon the passage of, the, of his fair tax, which left a gaping hole within the state budget. Uh, he is Governor Lucky. He fell into some money and uh, he's using it and saying that his policies have now improved the state of Illinois' credit rating. But the fact is there's nothing that he's done that has uh, made this our, our budget and the environment in Illinois any better because this is short-term money and it's going to run out. He's still leaving a, a $4.5 billion hole in our unemployment trust fund, which is going to have to be repaid back to the federal government, either through cutting of benefits or taxing employers. He won't put the money that he received from the federal government under the ARPA funds to be able to offset that. But he also reinstated a, 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 a tax that I was able to eliminate two years ago in an agreement with him. He reinstated the franchise tax, which is approximately $200 million per year on small businesses. That was just out of spite because he didn't like the fact that you know, he lost the fair tax. But he did institute a, you know, a new tax upon employers and mainly small businessmen this past year. People don't realize that, is that yes, he got a bailout from the federal government, but he also raised taxes at the same time. So look, he's gonna talk about how this great rosy picture of how he's been able to stabilize and improve the finances of the state of Illinois. But the fact remains is that he like other states and every other state has had a windfall. He did nothing other than he had his hand out and he said, thank you. But the governor has not been able to show any good, any, any major policy about restraining our spending uh, and uh, doing anything to offset the problems that we have in, with inflation that people are all of a sudden are, are becoming are, are cash poor because of the cost of goods. And, you know, every state is doing a little bit better. I mean, if you just look to the east, unfortunately, we've got to look at Indiana, they're rebating uh, uh, taxes to their uh, residents because of the windfall that they receive from the federal government. I don't think J.B. Pritzker wants to do that because this is the difference between, I would say the Republicans and the Democrats. They wanna to continue to spend. They don't wanna, they don't wanna go back. They don't wanna say that we'll live within our means. They wanna spend more money. But the more that he spends, it increases the budget. How are you gonna be able to manage that in two years when this money is gone? So he can, Talk about this, it's gonna be a campaign issue that we'll, we'll be able to, uh, people can make their own judgment on. But the fact is the governor has done nothing to improve the business uh, uh, environment in Illinois and also to improve the, uh, the lives of the middle class and any other Illinois citizen who pays taxes every year. With the last couple of minutes that we have, I do have to talk about some pure politics uh, since we're getting into it already. How much is the future of the Illinois Republican Party uh, going to be played out in this season over who supported Donald Trump and and who hasn't. Uh, I mean, it seems like candidates for governor and Congress in, in the GOP seem to be using that as a measure right now. Is this going to be hanging over everything that happens this year? I don't think so. You know what? I, I think we just need to go back to two years ago. And uh, in a state where Donald Trump, I mean, Joe Biden won 58% of the vote, the same amount of people said no to J.B. Pritzker and his... Uh, is fair tax. Uh, that was Republicans, independents, and also uh, uh, Democrats who said no to J.B. Pritzker, even though the state overwhelmingly supported Joe Biden. We also, Craig, I won seats against Mike Madigan. I was, I was outspent four to one by Mike Madigan. I ended up winning. And we were able to defeat a, the, 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 not retain the sitting chief justice of Illinois. So Illinois citizens, I think something, I know something broke through a couple of years ago about the state finances. 
when J.B. Pritzker is telling people that, you know what, the more the rich got to pay more, they got to pay their fair share. And uh, it didn't work out because everybody knows that the way that this they created this constitutional amendment and how it be played out is more of a shell game. But I think the bigger issue is how does a guy who's worth $4 billion pays little of anything in state taxes uh, when he parks most of his money offshore and avoids paying state taxes like J.B. Pritzker does. So it's disingenuous for him to tell people that the rich need to pay more. But I will say this, that we have we feel strong. We feel good about this upcoming cycle in Illinois. Uh, what's happened on the national level, it may have some type of impact, but people are upset about what's happened in the streets of Chicago and also the suburbs and the collar counties where we're going to have most of the of the actions going to be in this next cycle. Public safety has been, it's the number one issue. And the Democrats, J.B. Pritzker, and also the leaders in the House and the Senate have turned their back on law enforcement and victims. And I talked about that a little bit ago. But also they've done nothing, nothing to mitigate the, the horrible rise of inflation and the increases in spent of, of, of the cost of goods on every Illinoisan. He can't say that this is a federal problem because he passes a heck of a lot of bills that do have an impact upon every taxpayer in Illinois. He needs to do more and help citizens with them finding the way to be able to pay their utility bills, buy a gallon of milk or buy diapers for their kids. So uh, these are all issues that'll play out in this course of this next year, but I'm optimistic. I've got candidates, you know, in the past, it's been difficult to find people to run. I've had people who are lining up outside the door saying, I want to be part of this election cycle. That is going to be the last. We could have gone an hour today. <laughs> oh, I got plenty more, Craig. I got plenty Absolutely. More. Well, this won't be the last time we talk this year. Uh, all right. That yeah. is House Republican leader Jim Durkin. Thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening until then. I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 